0: Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that we hold in our hands this morning this wonderful book, the Bible. We thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. We thank you that it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. We thank you that the entrance of thy Word bringeth light. We thank you that the Lord Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And Father, we pray that as we come to Thy Word just now, that we may hear the speaking voice of God. May the Word of the Lord have free course in our midst and be glorified. And Father, speak in the stillness. While we wait on Thee, hush our hearts to listen in expectancy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. I want to thank Brian for his kind words of welcome. It's always a joy and privilege to be with you in Seinfeld and to have this opportunity of ministering the Word of God. Do remember our gospel service this evening, and if there's some unsaved or backsliders that you could invite in or text or bring along, I want to talk to you tonight on the subject, very solemn subject, eternity were, and Judith will be here to sing. So do be with us tonight if you can join with us in the place of prayer. We would love to see you, and we trust that God's blessing will rest upon us even this evening. I do pray for you regularly, said Brian, well, I just want to assure the elders that I pray for them daily. Every day, I pray for the elders of this church, that the Lord will guide them, and that the Lord will lead them in these days of vacancy. We're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're reading at verse 17. I want to talk to you this morning about the Lord's Supper, option or obligation. The Lord's Supper, option or obligation. And we're reading in 1 Corinthians 11, and we're reading at verse 17. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies or factions among you, that ye which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together Therefore, into one place this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his, his, his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat; this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye in, eat, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body." For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Let's keep our Bibles open there at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. All wasn't well within the church at Corinth. Divisions and disorders and difficulties marred the life of this highly gifted church. And Paul's object in writing was to rebuke the disorders and to resolve the difficulties. One such disorder surrounded the abuse of the Lord's table. You see, the early church developed fellowship meals that came to be called love feasts. And it would seem that these love feasts were climaxed by the observance of the Lord's Supper. The love feasts were congregational meals. They were stressing fellowship and affection and mutual caring among the believers. And this emphasis on oneness, this emphasis on unity, led very readily into a remembrance of the unifying work of Christ upon the cross. The church at Corinth followed this custom. There was the love feast, and then there was the observance of the Lord's Supper. What was happening, however, was a travesty of love. For the rich man would sit at one end of the table and eat sumptuously, and the poor man would sit at the other end of the table with his meager fare. And then immediately coming on top of this love feast came the observance of the Lord's Supper. You see, the two things contradicted each other. The original idea of the love feast was sharing, but that idea had been lost. Indeed, some of the members were even getting drunk. It's likely that this love feast was the only decent meal that some of the poor members had during the week. But to be treated scornfully by the richer members not only hurt their stomachs, it hurt their pride. Disgraceful scenes marked this gathering, so much so that Paul says it had lost its character. It was certainly not for the honor of the Savior, nor did it reflect the oneness of the saints. You see what Paul says in verse 20. Notice what he says. When ye come together, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Did you notice the word not? Their practice had destroyed the true character of the supper— it had lost its original meaning. It was no longer the Lord's Supper. Now, while this particular abuse may not enter into our observance today, it does remind us, my dear friends, that when we come to break bread, we need to be careful how we approach the table. You see, it's possible to eat and to drink unworthily. If a Christian comes with anything less than loftiest thoughts of the Lord Jesus, with anything less than total love for his brothers and sisters in Christ, he comes unworthily. Now by instruction and by example, Christ instituted two ordinances baptism and the Lord's Supper ordinances for those of who are saved to obey faithfully. the New Testament uses four terms to designate this special remembrance. This special way of remembering the Lord is referred to as the Lord's Supper, chapter 11, verse 20. It is referred to as communion, chapter 10 and verse 16. It is referred to as the breaking of bread, Acts 2, verse 42. It is referred to as the Lord's Table, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 21. You see, in the Gospels, we have the institution of the supper by the Lord Jesus. In the Acts, we have the celebration of the supper by the early believers. In the epistles, we have the explanation of the supper by the Holy Spirit. How simple this all makes it. In the Gospels, we see the Lord's Supper instituted. In the Acts, we see the Lord's Supper celebrated. And in the epistles, we see the Lord's Supper explained. Any Lord's table involves us as believers looking in certain directions. I want to suggest to you, first of all, that when we gather at the table, there is an upward look. That's its authority. I mean, why should you and I as believers remember the Lord? Because of the authority of the person who instituted it. My dear friends, this is not a sentimental arrangement that we have built up over the ages. The Lord's Supper is divinely ordained. Keep your finger on 1 Corinthians 11 and flick back for a moment to Luke's gospel, chapter 22. The gospel by Luke in chapter 22. Look at verse 14. Luke 22 and verse 14. And when the hour was come, he, the Lord Jesus, sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. So we can see right away the Lord's Supper— is an obligation. It is our solemn duty to remember the Lord, because he himself commanded this. Christ established this ordinance to be a divine institution. He gave no other way of remembering him, so this can neither be replaced or amended. Is it not astonishing this morning that we who are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ need need a reminder? And yet such is the Lord's understanding of our hearts, the weakness, the treachery of our hearts, that he has made provision for us in this forget-me-not feast. You remember the warning that the Lord gave to the nation of Israel? He said on one occasion to them, Beware, lest thou forget the Lord. It was to ensure that they did not forget how he had redeemed them out of Egypt, that he gave them the Passover feast. And does the Lord's Supper not serve the same purpose? It is given to us to ensure, to ensure that we, his people, never forget, never lose the meaning of what he did for us by purchasing us with his precious blood at the place called Calvary. You see, my friends, when we gather around the Lord's table, we're not gathering at our own impulse we're not gathering at our own inclination. We're gathering at this table because He has ordained that we should do so. This is not an option that you and I can take or leave. This is an obligation. I challenge you this morning. How can you as a Christian believer walk out when the Lord's table is set? How can you For some flimsy social or domestic reason, leave the building when the table is spread. How can you turn your back on the dying request of the Savior who said, This do in remembrance of me, and yet many believers do. Some have never eaten and drunk at this table. Some do it intermittently. Some stay away for a variety of reasons. How deeply offensive it must be to the Savior to see multitudes of Christians file out of Baptist churches on a Lord's Day morning and only a handful remain to remember the one who shed his blood for us. But you're too busy. You're too taken up with more important things, with more urgent things, to take a little time in solemn remembrance of Christ. What a shocking revelation of us personally and corporately, for the Lord's table is an obligation. Something else. It's not only an obligation, it's a representation you see, this form of remembrance this morning, it matches our weakness. We need to see things. We need to handle things. Were we but like Thomas who said, Except I shall see, I will not believe? And the Lord knew all about our need in this way, and He provided this visible remembrance for us. The blood that flowed for sin, in symbol here we see, and feel the blessed pledge within that we are loved by Thee. All through history, God has used signs that could be seen. He has used the the rainbow. He has used the Passover meal. He has used the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Lord's Supper is a remembrance that can be seen. And so we should obey it carefully as seen by the Lord and keep it simple. Is it not remarkable that the devil's relentless attack on the gospel in the course of history has been on the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. I mean, you think this morning of what the church of Rome has turned the Lord's Supper into when I was growing up as a little boy in Banbridge Baptist Church, we had a pastor by the name of John Coleman. He emigrated to England or went to England and then emigrated to Australia. But in his book on Catholicism, he says this, the priest in the mass pronounces over the bread and wine the words of Christ, this is my body, this is the chalice of my, bo- of blo- of my blood. By the power of God, The bread and the wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ. What blasphemy! You see, my dear friends, when Christ said, This is my body, he did not mean identity, as Rome teaches, and as Martin Luther refused to give up, he meant representation. You know, if I hold a photograph in my hand this morning and say, This is the king. You don't understand that piece of cardboard to be the king. Let's remember the liberties that belong to language. And so when Christ says, this is my body, he simply means this represents, this signifies my body. For remember, he was standing in his own body when he made that statement. It cannot be taken as literal. Otherwise, he had two bodies at the same time. This is my body must mean this represents my body. The bread this morning, the wine—they are signs in themselves. They are nothing more. But that doesn't mean, my dear friends, there is nothing more in the service. For in the Lord's Supper, you and I are observing an ordinance in which our hearts go out to the Savior and pledges themselves to Him in loving devotion. And one of his famous servants, Sermon C. H. Spurgeon, urged his people at the table to feed on Christ, to feed on the Savior. And so, when we gather around the Lord's table, there's an upward look. That's its authority. Secondly, there's an outward look. That's its company. You recall one of the words that's used to designate this special remembrance? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a moment in verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and the verse 16. One of the words is communion. Look at verse 10, chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The Greek word is koinonia. It's sometimes translated communion, fellowship. It means a sharing with others in suffering. It is participation in Christ with others. You see, when we think of fellowship this morning, it's not only, it is not only vertical, it is horizontal. This concept of fellowship is outward as well as upward. The Lord's Supper stands as an expression of fellowship. It underscores two things— It underscores the redeemed character of this company. The Lord's table assumes the church. This is a church ordinance. We observe it together. It's a command that we cannot obey alone. Look at Paul's emphasis in this chapter. Look at chapter 11. Look at verse 17. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise ye not that ye what come together. Verse 18— For first of all, when ye come together, verse 20, when ye come together, verse 33, wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together, verse 34, if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together. You can't do this through sermon audio. You can't do this through Facebook. You can't do this through YouTube. You can't do this through Zoom. This was a practice that they were following, namely to eat the Lord's Supper by coming together. It's an activity of the church, it's an institution that belongs to the company of believers. That helps us to explain whether we're justified in coming to the table or not. You see, the Lord's table is only for those who know the Savior. You know Him this morning? Are you saved? are you redeemed by blood, then the Lord's table is for you. I want you to see the redeemed character of this company, and then I want you to see the regular practice of this company. You'll notice what the Lord said. Have a look at it in verse 24. And when they had given thanks, he broke it and said, he, keep this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And he uses the present continuous tense. He means keep on doing this in remembrance of me. It's a thing to be done again and again and again. Look at what Paul says in verse 26. He says, as often as ye eat this bread. He doesn't say as seldom. He says as often. It would seem when you turn to the book of Acts that they observed the Lord's table once every day. And then when you come to chapter 20, it it would appear that by chapter 20 in the book of Acts, it had become a weekly remembrance. It says, upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, the first day of the week. Not once a year. Not once a quarter. Not once a month. Their habit was to break bread on the first day of the week. Do you remember when you were in love? For some of us, that wasn't yesterday. To be with your fiancé was a real pleasure. How would you have responded if someone had said, limit yourself to once every three months? What would you have said? You would have said, I love her so much, I want to be with her as often as possible. Tell me this morning, have you fallen out of love with Christ? Is that why you never come to the table? And so when we come to the Lord's table, there's an upward look, that's its authority. There's an outward look, that's its company. Here's the third thing. There's a backward look, that's its memory. You remember what the risen Lord said to Mary at the garden tomb, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Why do you come to the Lord's table? What do you come for? Whom seekest thou? Have you come seeking Him? Have you come to be occupied with Him, or to think upon Him, to thank Him, to tell Him how much we appreciate His worth and His work that has brought such glory to God and blessing to us? You see, this word remembrance that we find in this passage in verse 24, it means to consciously call to mind. And the definition is this, that when we come to the Lord's table, we must use our minds to pay attention. You say, what are we to call to mind? the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. And when he'd given thanks, he brake break it and said, Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. I'm here to tell you this morning, the Lord's not asking us to remember a date. And he's not asking us to remember a place. And he's not asking us to remember a doctrine. And he's not asking us to remember an event. He's asking us, This do in remembrance of me. We must strive to make more of the Lord of the feast than the feast of the Lord. Remember me as you come to the table. Call me to mine. The lowly Nazarene who was made in the likeness of men. The crucified Savior whose death was vicarious in its nature. The victorious Redeemer who rose from the grave. The ascended Lord who went back into heaven, me, the, the interceding advocate who pleads with you before the Father's throne, me, the coming bridegroom who's coming one day to the air to take from the world his own. This do in remembrance of me. When you sit at the table, do you do that? Do you remember him? Do you remember the person of Christ? Are your thoughts full of Christ? My friends, this morning I speak to my own soul. Are we not appalled at times when we come to the Lord's table and we do everything but remember Him? Our Saturday night escapades our late lie-ins on the Lord's Day morning. So many things contribute to our lack of concentration. We're thinking about the dinner, the visitors, the problems of an incoming week, everything but the Savior. We're to remember the person of Christ. Look at verse 26. We're to remember the passion of Christ. For as often ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. You see, this forget-me-not feast— is to be Christ-centered in its nature. Brethren, will you remember that when you minister at the table? Will you remember that when you pray at the table? It is Christ that we want to see at the table. You know, for most of us, we try and forget how our loved ones have died. Christ wants us to remember how he died. Why? Because everything that you and I have this morning centers on the death of Christ. Look at verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show. The word show means proclaim as a message. You do show the Lord's death till he come. What a testimony. You see, when you gather at the table, you're telling the world That your salvation is not depending on your own doing. Your salvation is dependent on the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my friend, when you neglect to partake of the table, you're just advertising what you think of the sacrifice of Christ. Maybe you're saying this morning, well, Dennis, with what degree of vividness am I to remember the passion of Christ? Well, look at verse 24. And when he given thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat this of my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do you as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The bread suggests the humiliation to which his body was subjected. The wine suggests the precious blood. My friends, when you and I gather at the table, we are to definitely... And vividly think about the physical, the diabolical, the spiritual suffering that he endured on the cross. Is that what you do when you come to the table? Do you ever think of the pain that he bore for you? Do you ever think of the Savior bearing the storm of God's wrath? As you gather around this table, do you ever think of the Savior feeling your personal load of sin? When Roger Rose was a boy more than 40 years ago, his young brother was fatally injured in a car accident. One day his brother was crossing an old dirt road on a bicycle when a a car came flying over the hill and hit him and killed him dead. Roger Rose remembers the day that his father picked up that mangled and twisted bike and wept over his son's death. And that broken-hearted father carried that bike banked, bike banked, banked to the barn and left it there. And his father's sorrow eased with the passing of time. But for many years, when he saw that bike, the tears began to flow down his cheeks. And Roger said, since then, since then I have prayed, Lord, keep the memory of your death that fresh to me. Isn't it strange, brethren and sisters, that we weep at news reports? We weep at films. Are we ever moved to tears at the Lord's table? Does his suffering touch us? Does his sacrifice move us? to thanksgiving, to praise, to worship. Can we say with John Newton, oh, cannot be upon the tree the Savior died for me? My soul is thrilled, my heart is filled to think he died for me. When I gather at this table, there's an upward look. That's its authority. There's an outward look. That's its company. There's a backward look. That's its memory. But look again. There's an inward look. That's its scrutiny. I mean, How much heart preparation do you and I give to the morning meeting? Do you examine yourself before you come to this table? You see what Paul says in verse 28. Have a look at it. These are not my words. These are the words of the inspired, infallible Bible. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. You see, to play the hypocrite at the Lord's table provokes the anger of the Lord. We're to give ourselves a thorough self-examination. Now, that involves two things. One— there must be a sensing of the worth. A sensing of the worth of the Lord's Tupper. Look at what Paul says in verse 29. He says, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily. You say, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean if anyone who is not worthy partakes. All believers this morning are positionally worthy because of their acceptance in God through Christ but one could be conditionally unworthy because of irreverent behavior. You see, this word refers to attitude. It refers to deportment. Paul is saying, if anyone partakes in an unworthy manner, was this not the failure of the Corinthian church? There was this cavalier attitude to the table— Sometimes we meet believers who say to us, I won't go to the table for I'm not worthy. My friend, listen, none of us are worthy. There's only one who's worthy this morning, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But is this not the way to come? You see, to partake of the Lord's table unworthily It is to take it without regard to its true worth. It's to come to the table complacently and lightheartedly, but surely to be wed down with a sense of our own unworthiness is to take the Lord's Supper worthily. Stories told of a service in Scotland. The Lord's Supper was being observed. Dr. Duncan of Edinburgh was present. In the front seat was a lady who was weeping, and she was in great distress. And as the emblems were passed around from one person to another, this lady indicated to the elder that she did not want to be partaking. Dr. Dunkson at once perceived the situation. He got up and left his seat, and he rose and he took the cup from the elder and he said, Take it, dear. It's for sinners. And they did it, and indeed it is. But sinners, saved by the grace of God, must not take the Lord's Supper lightly. You know, sometimes, dear friends, I've sat in the middle of congregations. I've seen men stretch out their feet and put their feet on the seat before them have seen this cavalier attitude to the Lord's table. Listen, we're to approach this table in humility. We're to approach this table with a sense of awe, with a sense of reverence, with a sense of respect, sensing the worth of the supper. But that's not all. There must not only be a sensing of the worth. Look at verse 28. There must be a searching of the heart. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that wine. The word man here means anthropos. It means brother or sister. Who are we to examine at the table? The pastor, the elders, my wife, my husband, my neighbors. Is it right that so-and-so should sit at the table? Paul says, let a man examine himself. And the result of that spiritual examination is that he's to eat the bread and drink the wine. The word that Paul uses here for examine was often used of the word of testing of metals. It means put yourself on trial. It means a searching of my own heart with the end of locating those features in my life that are unacceptable to the Lord. And having confessed those, one is to approach the Lord's Supper, examine himself. I wonder you and I ever do that as we approach the table knowing that bringing our hearts into a right frame takes time. John Owen tells us that when we come to the Lord's Supper, it must be in three stages. Before the Supper, preparation. During the Supper, disposition. After the Supper, maintenance. I mean, is it not so easy to lose the meaning of the message and the blessing of the supper before we leave the church building. Within minutes of remembering the Savior, so often we're laughing and we're conversing about all sorts of trivial matters. Do we not need to tread carefully? I'm almost finished. When we come to the Lord's table, We look upward, that's its authority. When we come to the Lord's table, we look outward. That's its company. When we come to the Lord's table, we look backward. That's its memory. When we come to the Lord's table, we look inward. That's its scrutiny. And finally, when we come to the Lord's table, we look forward. That's its expectancy. Look at verse 26 in closing. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. In other words, this forget-me-not feast will be carried out until the coming of the Lord, till he come. When that happens, the supper will disappear. You see, it's not a perpetual observance. There is coming a day when it will be consummated. There's coming a day, dear friends, when we no longer need to gather around the table, for the symbols will have disappeared in the presence of the real, and face to face will we behold them. Think of it this morning. You and I could be gathering around the Lord's table for the very last time, for before next Lord's Day, the Lord could have come to the air to take from the world his own. Till he come. And that happen. When that happens, the supper will disappear. When that happens, the Savior will reappear. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I wonder, did you notice in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, there's the principle of headship. Paul talks about head covering in the opening part of the chapter. The outworking of that is that a man comes into worship with his head uncovered, and a lady comes into worship with her head covered. There's the principle of headship. Ah, but when he comes to this latter part of the chapter, he's talking about lordship. Not headship, but lordship. And he uses the word Lord at these eight times. I wonder, does the Lord have to say to you this morning in relation to this table? Why call ye me Lord, Lord? Do not the things which I say. Stories told of a little boy who was admitted to an orphanage after his parents were killed. One of the first items on the agenda was to get this wee boy a new set of clothes. And so he was given a new pair of trousers and a new shirt and a new pair of shoes. And lastly, he was offered a new hat, but he refused to take it. He wanted to hold on to his worst for the wear hat. Finally, the sister of the home was able to coax, coax him in trying out this new cap, and he, he tried it on, and he liked it, and he really loved it. But then he did something very funny. He reached inside his old cap, and he tore the lining out of it and placed it into his pocket. And noticing the sister of the home had a puzzled look on her face, He said, That lining is part of my mother's dress. It's all I've got left of her. Somehow it seems to bring her back. That dress reminded that little boy of her. This table reminds me of him. tell me. What will you do with the Savior's command this morning? This do in remembrance of me. Will you say with James Montgomery, remember thee and all thy pain and all thy love to me. Yea, while a breath, a pulse remains I will remember thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the instruction of your word. We thank you for the Lord's table that you've instituted. And we pray, O God, that as we gather around this table just now, that our remembrance of the Savior might be sweet. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. We're going to turn to our hymn books again. It's going to come up on the overhead king of my life. I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. Listen to these words, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary.